with the word of prayer. Lord, as we bow to you in prayer right now, we bow to you and surrender, God. Lord, help us today to trust you and bow to you and relinquish control into your hands. God, I pray that your word would help us to have faith, not fear. Help us to have faith and not falter, but to know in our heart that you are the Lord. So God, speak to us today. Speak, my Lord, for we are listening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When a boy shouted, God is great, a university professor asked him, why did he say that? Well, the boy explained how he was reading the story in the Bible of God, how God rescued the Israelites by parting the Red Sea. Well, this unsaved man laughed and said, boy, let me explain something to you. The reality of this, what I'm going to tell you, is based on modern scholarship. You see, it has been revealed through modern study that this was not the Red Sea that the Israelites crossed, but it was the Reed Sea. The actual area where the Israelites crossed was only 10 inches deep. So you see, said this professor, this was no miracle for them to wade across to the other side. Now, said the man, you must choose to believe the Bible or modern scholarship. So what's your choice? Well, the boy was silent while he looked over his Bible. And the man felt real proud about what he had enlightened the boy, quote-unquote, with. And the man started to leave. And suddenly the boy sounded, Wow, God is great. I choose the Bible. Why is that? asked the man. Because, the boy replied, This miracle is greater than I thought. For not only did God get them through the Red Sea, but he drowned the whole Egyptian army in only 10 inches of water. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to the Bible's documentation or man's speculation, you know what I choose? I choose God's Word. I choose God's Word. A.W. Pink once wrote this, Alternatives confront us, and between them we are obliged to choose. Either God governs or He is governed. Either God rules or he is ruled. Either God has his way or men have theirs. And then Pink asks this question. Is our choice between these alternatives hard to make? No, it's not. Because we know God, his power, his providence, and his sovereignty. Well, as we return to our our verse-by-verse study in the book of Hebrews, we find how Moses, his parents, and the people of Israel choose now they choose to believe god and follow his word no matter how difficult the challenges are no matter how difficult the decision is to make so i titled our message this morning the choice of faith the choice of faith we're going to be studying hebrews chapter 11 from verse 23 to 29 today last time we ended at verse 22 now we're going to go on And so our outline is this. Number one, the parent's resistance, the prophet's refusal, number two, and number three, the people's reliance. 
So, the choice of faith, our title. Now, let's take a look here. Number one, the parent's resistance. The parent's resistance. This is going to cover just verse 23 here in Hebrews 11. So, take a look with me here. 11.23 Hebrews, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. We'll stop there. Now we begin with these two words again, by faith. And as we've been going along, this introduces another example of the kind of faith the writer's been talking about here in chapter 11. Remember, way up in verse 1, faith is defined as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That, That was the writer's definition. Now we define substance as meaning the solid confidence. And evidence, it means a strong conviction. So my definition is faith, the faith that is spoken of here is that unshakable confidence and conviction in God and His Word. So it was this kind of faith that we see in our next example. They held to this unshakable confidence and conviction in the choices they had to make in following God at His Word. Remember in, here in Hebrews chapter 11, this whole chapter is called the Heroes of Faith or the Hall of Faith, right? This faith, this kind of unshakable faith was seen in verse 4 up there when Abel honored God in his worship. In verse 5, we saw how Enoch honored God in his walk. We saw in verse 7 when Noah honored God really in his work when he built the ark in his obedience to God saying, hey, build an ark, it's going to rain. He never even saw rain, right? In verses 8 through 19, we saw how Abraham kept that eternal perspective. That's how we saw his unshakable faith. And then last time we were here, we saw in verse 20 to 23, we saw how how Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph came to see God's providence, that was part of our title, at work in their lives. Well, now, as we come here, next we come to the example of the unshakable faith of Moses' parents. So, look here. We read here that when Moses now, when he was born, the parents kept the baby hidden. Now, why did they have to hide the baby Moses? Well, because we know in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh had put out this edict, right? For every newborn Hebrew baby boy to be thrown into the Nile River to be drowned. We know that story. We know the new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph did not like how the numbers of Hebrews were growing and he made them slaves. And, and so they kept growing. And so to put this population under control... He put out this edict. But when Moses was born, the parents, and you remember who the parents were, Amran and Jochebed, we find that in Exodus 6.20, they defied the king's command because they saw the baby was, and we see here, a beautiful child. Now, that's interesting to me because every parent is going to see their baby as beautiful, Right? Every parent, we're going to look at our babies and go, oh, this is the most beautiful baby out of all the babies I've ever seen. Of course, we're biased. And I'm sure they saw Moses in that way. But I believe this means they saw something special with this baby. Even Stephen in his 
preaching in Acts 7 mentioned that he was beautiful. And I believe this refers to somehow God had put something in their heart that this baby, Moses, had a special future for the future of the people of Israel. So they were not afraid to go against the king and they hid the baby for three months, which was probably as long as they could, you know, with that baby. So we see here by faith, this unshakable faith of Moses' parents opposed Pharaoh's order. This is the parents' resistance. That's why I put that heading here in this uh, section. Now, the writer is showing us here that not only was this, well, of course, for Moses' sake and their own sake as parents, but it was for God's sake that this special baby was protected. So by faith, the parents were willing to risk their own lives to follow what God had put on their hearts. And by faith, saving the baby was more than what maybe what they wanted, what their will was, but it was really to follow God's will. And we know the story, right, how it went, that by faith, they even, after three months, right, hid the baby. They put baby Moses in this mini ark basket, right, into the Nile River. I guess they could say, well, we followed your edict. We did put the baby in the the Nile, right? Well, anyway, they put Moses in that little ark, put it in the, the Nile River, trusting God that Pharaoh's daughter would have compassion and take the Hebrew baby as their own. I mean, that was a faith step too, right? To put the baby into the water. That took faith to entrust the baby to God and willingly let him go like that. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm just thinking as a parent, doing that for your own baby and putting it in the water and hoping, you know, that uh, Pharaoh's daughter would have compassion and not just say, oh, well, we got to drown those baby boys, right? That was faith to even do that. Well, then in God's providence, which really connects to what we saw last time, Pharaoh's daughter did have compassion, accepted the baby Moses. And then we know the baby was given back to Jochebed, the mother, to be weaned until probably, people are guessing around two, three years old, maybe even four. Well, then the daughter of Pharaoh took the baby back, raised Moses, where? In Pharaoh's palace. But you know what? That was part of Moses' journey to become that chosen prophet to deliver Israel from the Egyptian bondage. So Amran and Jochebed, the parents, could never have planned all this. They would have never thought this all, that, all out. But in faith, they risked their lives in their resistance to follow Pharaoh's command. You could say this. They feared God more than they... I mean, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, right? So here's the point here. This is what the writer's saying. Even at the risk of their own lives, Moses' parents chose to walk by faith and not fear. Even at the risk of their own lives, Moses' parents chose to walk by faith and not fear. You know, one day uh, years ago, I was, I was watching our cat look up at this ledge. It was in our, our bathroom, uh, you know, little bathroom window. I was looking up at the ledge where the window was, and, and, and uh, this was probably the first time that we were in this house, and the cat was in the house, and I thought the cat would just jump right up there. You know, he was jumping up there in different places, but he didn't. He just kind of looked and kind of checked it out and then walked away. You know why? Because he didn't know 
what was on that ledge or what was going on here. But once I pick, picked him up, put him on the ledge, from there he just kept, that was a place where you can look out into the whole world, into the yard. Now, I was thinking about that. That's how we are, right? When God seems to point us to this ledge up there, well, that unknown scares us. It puts fear in us. The challenge that we see there, it scares us. Not knowing, will the ledge hold us? Or what's on that ledge? Or what's on the other side? Will I make it up there? That puts fear in us. But think about this. With Moses' parents, they faced that fear, that unknown with faith. The ledge of danger that if Pharaoh found out the hidden baby was there, it would cost them all their lives, even the baby. The ledge of the baby Moses drowning maybe in the Nile when they placed him in the river. The ledge of Pharaoh's daughter rejecting the baby. The ledge of what will happen to their precious son even growing up in Pharaoh's palace. That would be hard for me. I'm sure it was hard for Amran and Jochebed to choose to walk by faith and trust God's power and his plan. I like something John MacArthur wrote. He said, God needs our obedience, not our help. Our trust, not our counsel. He makes the plans. We walk in them by faith. And that's what the parents did. That speaks to me. I don't know about you. Because I, I don't think Aram... Uh, Amram and Jochebed exactly knew what was going to happen to Moses, yet they walked by faith and trusted God. It's not like God met with them and said, look, I got this plan for your kid. You know, they only knew so much. They, they had some sort of awareness here. We don't know exactly, but that was enough to entrust their lives and the life of their precious boy into God's hands and his providence. I'm sure they weren't completely afraid, you know, unafraid. Uh, I, I'm sure that they, they had those thoughts and feelings. You know, sometimes I was thinking, me, sometimes I start thinking of something and just start spinning in my head, and it just gets me more afraid and nervous, and then I start panicking. But even in all that, they chose faith that overcame the fear. Are you facing challenges today? Is God prompting your heart maybe to do something, to step out, to, to follow him? Some, he's saying he's pointing to something. He says, go there. You're like, well, I don't know. I, what's on that ledge? What's on the other side? I can't see what's up there. Well, have faith in his plan. Choose now to have faith like Moses' parents. Well, let's go on here to number two in our outline, the prophet's refusals. The prophet's refusals. We've got to make that choice of faith. We see the parents' resistance. And now we're going to look at Moses, the prophet's refusals. And we're going to cover chapter 11 here, 24 through verse 27. Hebrews 11, verse 24 says, By faith, <coughs> Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So now the writer goes on, the story goes on, but he zeroes in on, he focuses on how by faith, by this unshakable kind of faith, Moses, when he came of age, which is about 40 years old. Remember, Moses now at this point came to this place when he was 40 where he needed to make a choice. Was he going to be an Egyptian or was he going to be a Hebrew? Well, Moses chose to be a Hebrew. And it says here, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
Now, in the original language, in the Greek, there is no the there. There's no, the word the isn't there. It just says like, Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter, which indicates this was not a description, but it was a title. You know, like in England, you're a duke. You're given the title of a duke or a duchess or something like that. So Moses refused to hold the title prince of Egypt. He didn't want to be that. So we see the prophet's refusal. The prophet's refusal. Now, we're going to see in this section of verses, that we're going to see uh, four refusals that Moses took that step in faith. That's what he did. He declined this. And that's the first thing we see here in verse 24. The first refusal, number one, Moses declined the prestige. Moses declined the prestige. You know, the story as it goes, once, you know, toddler Moses was given back over to Pharaoh's daughter to be raised, you know, in Pharaoh's household there, that this was amazing, right? Moses grew up in, that, in Egypt in that day. This was the wealthiest, most cultured, most advanced society. That, that was Egypt. And there he's in the palace. Moses was trained and skilled, well-educated. He would be able to read hieroglyphics, you know, uh, Egyptian writing. He would learn many languages. And he would be groomed to that high status of prince of Egypt. But even handed this, even with being handed this life of quote-unquote privilege, Moses declined that. Now, I kind of speculate it could be maybe a combination of things. Maybe when he was small, uh, his mom just instilled in him, yeah, this foundation of, of, of his people and who the true God is and who he was and the miracle that God did in saving his life. And now, you know, he's going to grow up in the palace, but this was all God's plan and perhaps the mom instilled some foundational things there early on. Maybe his sister, Miriam, right? We know her later. Maybe she told him all these stories. Maybe uh, Aaron, the brother, influenced him too. But you know what? We know some way, somehow, Moses knew about his calling. Because it's interesting. In Stephen's speech, remember before he became the first Christian martyr in Acts 7, verse 35, he said this, Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. In other words, Moses thought his fellow Hebrews would know that what he knew, that God was calling him to lead the people out of Egypt. So somehow Moses knew that even at this time age maybe perhaps there's thoughts that went in his mind like maybe he thought well you know like joseph you know maybe god could i could stay in the courts of pharaoh you know like joseph was second right in command in egypt and maybe you know i could, I could stay as a prince of egypt and you know run help the hebrews you know from this position wouldn't that be good but that wasn't god's plan god wanted the people not to stay in egypt any longer it's time to move on Go to the promised land. And that meant for Moses to give up his title. So this is Moses' faith. To decline the prestige that was right there for him to take. I was reading about how in the early 1600s, Justinian von Welts, he actually held the title Baron in Germany. And he felt the call to go to the Dutch Guinea, which is now Suriname in South America. 
And sadly, at that time, it was a, a time when the church did not believe in international missions and wealth had this burden. And, you know, at 40 years of age, like Moses, he took a step. He tried to open a mission school. He tried to talk to them. And then he finally went out himself to South America. But listen to this. As he was preparing to go out to the mission field, he was he knew he was leaving his title, his estate, all his income, his money. This is what this barren, quote-unquote, of high status. This is what he wrote. What is it to me to bear the title well-born when I am born again to Christ? What is it to me to have the title Lord when I desire to be the servant of Christ? What is it to be called your grace when I have need of God's grace myself? Isn't that good? Then he said, all these vanities I will be away with and all else I will lay at the feet of my dear Lord Jesus. I think when Moses heard this, maybe in heaven or whatever, he would say, amen, amen, that's just like me. That's where I was. So you can see Moses declined the prestige. The second thing we see here in the next verse is that Moses declined the pleasures. In this, the prophet's refusal, number two, Moses declined the pleasures. Verse 25, it says here, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, this is a powerful verse, you guys. I mean, rather than living a life of prestige and privilege, Moses made a choice, choosing to suffer affliction. He chose to be identified as a Hebrew who were slaves. He chose to suffer with them. The Hebrews were the lowest of lows in society there in Egypt. Moses would rather suffer with them. And then it says, then enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I mean, think about his position. Moses had like anything and everything he ever wanted. Any drink, any food, any woman, any vice, any worldly pleasure. It was all his. He just had to ask for it. But Moses knew to live a comfortable life of pleasure and sin would not last. Eventually, the consequences will catch up to the sin. He knew about that. I was thinking in Job 20, verse 5, it says, The exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment. I mean, think about that. We understand that the consequences of sin will eventually all catch up to us, right? It all, 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 all comes upon us, and it is not fun, the consequences of sin. I mean, I think of, you never hear anyone say, say like, wow, my sin sure turned out great. Yeah, It's wonderful how things went so bad, you know. No one says that. No, we all say, well, I wish I could go back and do over again. I wouldn't give in to it. I would have chosen differently. I mean, Satan's out there to tempt us, making us think, oh, it's so great, right? I think about, I mean, have you ever taken a bite out of an apple, and then all of a sudden you, you find inside it's all bruised, and it's all tastes all weird and bitter? Well, well, that's what sin is. Satan makes it look like so good. But in the end, the consequences are so painful and so hard. And that, that even if you enjoy it at first, it turns out to be, say, bitter to the core. Well, this is Moses. He knew that the pleasures of sin, it's only passing. It's not going to uh, take that long. And he'd rather just suffer with the people and do what God wanted rather than sin against the Lord. 
So we see here the prophet's refusal. Moses declined the prestige. Moses declined the pleasures. And now in our next verse, number three, Moses declined the prosperity. Moses declined the prosperity. Look at verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, this is a real interesting verse. It says Moses was esteeming. The word esteem means to consider carefully. You know, he weighed it all out. He looked at it all. He thought about it. It wasn't a quick decision, but esteeming here in original language means he really looked into this because this was a big decision. Am I going to continue on being an Egyptian, prince of Egypt, or am I going to be a Hebrew who I really am, follow God, and be go into suffering and challenges. So he really esteemed this. This, this was a big decision. And this big, this, he came to the big decision that the reproach or disgrace of Christ was better than any of the treasures, which is the wealth and riches of Egypt. Isn't that unbelievable? Moses was willing to let go all that wealth Everything he could have had. He's a prince of Egypt, right? All of that, all the gold, everything. A nice place to, to, to live, yeah? Uh, 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 every, all the food, everything he had. His whole life would have been taken care of. Moses was willing to let all of that go and suffer disgrace. Now, what does this mean, the reproach of Christ? I mean, I was thinking, wait, Moses lived like 1,500 years before Jesus did. I mean, what is the writer saying here? Well, this is what I believe. Like Abraham did, which we find in John 8, 5, 6, Jesus said Abraham did, Moses looked to the day when the Messiah would come out of Israel and bring salvation. Jesus said Abraham did. Well, you know what I think? I think Moses did too. I think Moses was taught that too. And I think Moses believed the Messiah Christ, the anointed one, would come out of Israel, the people of Israel. So I think this is Moses' thinking. If the Messiah was to rise up out of the disgraced people here, Moses was willing to be identified with the Messiah who will also be part of this disgraced people. And perhaps it was prophetically talking, he was thinking about how the Messiah would suffer disgrace and die for our sins, suffer and die for our sins. So, for the sake of the Messiah, Moses was willing to give it all up. I love that. For the sake of Jesus, right? I'm willing to give it all up for whatever you want, God. And what motivated him underneath that even more so? Well, it says here, Moses looked to the reward. And that is that fulfillment of the promised land that his people are going to make it to the promised land. Remember, we've been talking about that with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right? They looked, they believed, even though they never been there or anything. Moses believed that the Lord wanted Israel in the promised land. And I believe Moses looked even farther like Abraham did earlier in our passage here. He had that eternal perspective of the eternal heaven. So like how we saw with Abraham, Moses held to that eternal perspective too. So that's why Moses declined the prosperity. All this in this world, all this in this earth, ah, it's nothing compared to what I see ahead. Compared to having God in my life, compared even the suffering was nothing compared to all of that. 
Jim Elliott, before he was killed on the mission field, wrote about his decision to give up all and go out. And he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I like to think about it this way, really. You know, from a worldly perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing, right? What? You're giving all that? But from a spiritual point of view, Moses was sacrificing nothing for everything, right? So we see here the prophet's refusal and how Moses declined the prestige. He declined the pleasures. Number three, he declined the prosperity. And one more, Moses declined the pressure. Moses declined the pressure. Verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, the writer adds how by this unshakable faith, by faith, Moses forsook Egypt. Now, what that means that he left Egypt, not just left Egypt, he abandoned it all. He turned his back on Egypt. He turned his back on being an Egyptian. He turned his back on being a prince of Egypt, and he obeyed God at his word. Now, we, we think about the first time, remember, Moses left Egypt was to run for his life, right? After killing the Egyptian and, and, and he ran into, you know, uh, into the desert area over there in Sinai. And that brought him, yeah, 40 years of really training as a shepherd to then come back when he was 80 to lead the people of Israel out. And well, well that, that was, you know, part of God's plan. But the second time when Moses left Egypt, it was not out of fear of Pharaoh finding out and, you know, um, and putting him in prison and probably killing him. No, it, was, it wasn't out of fear of Pharaoh. It was God's command. And that's the idea here. Moses led the people out of Egypt, and he left also out, not because Pharaoh let him, but because God told him. So Moses endured, or kept to this challenging mission because he followed God, seeing him who is invisible. In other words, he responded as if God were standing right there in front of him. So even he stood before Pharaoh, you know, and in his heart this whole time he had left Egypt. He's abandoned. No, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, God's man here. I'm, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He didn't leave from fear of him or whatever Pharaoh says, okay, I'll do, you know, kind of thing. No, he left because he could see God standing right there, and he obeyed God. So Moses did not cave into any intimidation, whether Pharaoh told him to stay or go, or fear of what Pharaoh could do. That did not move him to do what he did. Moses declined the pressure of that intimidation. And that, that's our, why I say Moses declined the pressure. You know, think about this. We know how Abraham, right, lied to Pharaoh. Remember that story? Saying that his wife Sarah was his sister, right? Just in case they liked Sarah and they wanted to kill him. This way it would save his own life. And so he lied. Oh, he's my sister, right? So Pharaoh, oh, he's a sister? Well, I'm going to take, take her into the palace. But then God brought plagues to Pharaoh and his household. And interesting, revealed to Pharaoh that Sarah was Abraham's wife. Well, Pharaoh rebuked Abraham and let him leave. But you see now, with even Abraham, intimidation, fear can pressure you to do something wrong. But Moses did not give in, but declined to give in to the pressure. All right, so we've seen these four things. 
Overall, this is our point in this section. Moses chose God's challenging mission over Egypt's life of ease and riches. Moses chose God's challenging mission over Egypt's life of ease and riches. You know, as I was thinking about this, what matters is not the things of the world. They're secondary, you know. What matters is God's thing. And what matters is His eternal plan, His will in our lives, His word, what He wants us to do. That's what matters. And most of the things of the world, and remember Egypt is like this picture of the world. I mean, they're just pulling you away from God. Listen to what 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 says, and this is the NLT version. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. I mean, doesn't that sound like Moses? Moses chose even God's challenging mission over Egypt's life of ease and riches. What is God calling you to do? Is it something that is like beyond yourself, beyond you know, what you can even, even think of? I mean, that, what I'm saying is, what God is calling you to do, it doesn't mean like giving up your conveniences, your comforts, your routines. Maybe you know you're going to be put into uncomfortable situations. Maybe it means uh, being in, in this uh, place of intimidation, yeah? Or people thinking you, you're different, yeah? Maybe you have a fear of, of people thinking, you, thinking about you that, oh, you're different. Or maybe... It means you might lose your job, maybe your reputation, maybe your popularity. Maybe you're going to face criticism and you don't, you don't like that. What goes through your mind when if God says, hey, I'm calling you to do this? I mean, sometimes I say, God, are you sure? <laughs> you know, really? Oh, oh, God, I don't know. I can't do this. This, this is too hard. This is too challenging. It's hard, right? I mean, I was thinking about how, you know, when you're tired or you're weary and, and you sit down and you've been sitting for a while and then it's hard to get up, right? It's hard after you've been so comfortable. It's so, oh, oh, Kristen, can you get me the remote over there? No, but, but you know, right? We, we get so locked in, you know, and we're like, oh. But sometimes we're like that spiritually, you know. We're so comfortable where we stay. And God says, no, I want you to do Oh, I don't know, Lord. You know? Imagine, imagine Moses. He lived the life, right? He had everything. And now something he has, so nice, has to be given up. I'm sure that's hard. I was thinking about, you know, once you have like hopi, a pie in your hand, Will you really trade it for natto? No, this is mine. Yeah, yeah. Unless you really like natto, and you're like, "Whoa, yeah, I'd rather have natto." Yeah. Sometimes we look at what God is calling us to do in that way. 
Egypt has always been the symbol of the world, and perhaps it's time for you today to forsake it now. The things of the world, the things that you've been just so used to every day doing this stuff, perhaps it's time for you to forsake the things of the world and go on God's mission, no matter how hard it is. Why? Because we know what matters, the eternal things, not the temporary things. The sin and the pleasures of sin, they don't last. We know. We've experienced the consequences. What I want is God. And even though it's hard, you know what? I'm more happy. I find more joy, even though it's hard, in my obedience to the Lord. It's time to make the choice of faith. All right, let's go on to number three, the people's reliance. The people's reliance, our last heading here. We've seen the parents' resistance, the prophets' refusals, and now the people's reliance. And this will cover the last two verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28 says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. All right, the writer goes on here, and we see by faith, by this unshakable faith, Moses and the people now, all of Israel, they kept the Passover. And we know the story in Exodus 11 and 12, how the last plague was a death of the firstborn in all of Egypt. And God had instructed Moses to have the Israelites sacrifice a lamb and then sprinkle or spread its blood on the doorposts and across being the lentils of their house so that the death angel would pass over them because of the blood in the entrance, and not touch their firstborn. Their firstborn wouldn't be killed. But think about that. At the time, this was the first time they're hearing this. Moses and the people, they, I don't think they fully understand how putting blood, you know, on the doorpost, how would that actually save them? What would that really do? But they did it anyway. So by this faith, this unshakable faith, Moses and the people took what God said and obeyed his word, you know what, relying on the blood of the lamb. This is the people's reliance. And we know that Passover today is a picture. It points to Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 at the end, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover lamb. That's the idea. We understand that now. The blood, it covers, it washes our sin. We can't have forgiveness, and so the wrath of God doesn't come upon us. They didn't totally understand that, but they did it, and they relied upon just the blood, right, to save them from the, the firstborn, from the death angel. And you know, that's us too. It's the blood of Christ, yeah, that we rely upon, that Christ died almost 2,000 years ago, but we still today in faith rely upon that blood for forgiveness of our sins and cleansing. Now, our last verse here, verse 29, it says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Okay, so by faith, this unshakable faith, again, the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea, Exodus 14, right? We know the Red Sea was parted, and they passed through, they walked through there. And it says here, the people crossed on, notice, dry land. Now, this is important. The writer's really bringing up this picture. They firmly walked on dry ground when they went through. Now, think about the water's parting, right? 
I mean, even though God parted the waters and you have the seabed floor there and they could, they could walk through that, wouldn't it still be kind of muddy and mucky, you know, from all the water? Well, miraculously, God made the ground dry and, and firm for them to walk on. So the idea is the people made it to the other side of the Red Sea by unshakable faith. Let me explain. Remember, the Israelites were trapped with mountains on the left, mountains on the left, the Red Sea in front of them. Coming right behind them was Pharaoh's army to kill them, right? They're they're hot on their trail. Well, God put his Shekinah glory between Israel and the army to protect them. But the people still panicked, right? They're sitting and go, wow, wow. They they panicked. And you remember, they're like, what, Moses was... Was not there enough graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die in the wilderness? It sounds so Jewish, yeah, by saying that. Funny, though, how panic can erase all the previous works of God, yeah? The Passover, the, the, all the ten plagues, you know, and, and many of them, uh, you know, didn't touch the Jews and all. But all of a sudden they forget. They're in this situation. They're panicking. And then Moses told them in Exodus fourteen thirteen. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And we know what happened. Moses held up his staff. God blew a wind all night and the Red Sea parted. And not only that, the ground where the water was totally dry. No sludge, no mud. And the writer brings that up. So, Here's what I'm thinking. When it was time for Israel to go, right? The seas parted. You know, they're protected by the Shekinah glory. The army's not going to get them. And they're like, okay, let's cross over now. God did this miracle. The question was, would they go? Would they take that step? I mean, what if the water came back and drowned them? Is the walls going to hold, right? What, and did they really know that all the way the ground was dry? Would their feet get stuck? Would they, would they all like bunch up, you know, you know, in one place or something? Could you, could you imagine the ones in front, you know, the very, you know, this is now like, you know, a couple million of them, right? Um, or a million or, or more. And, and could you imagine them just, the, the first group there in front, standing there like, maybe Joshua, Moses' assistant, saying, go, come on, go, go. You know, Joshua, you always had that faith. And maybe you're like, what if you were one of those front ones? Were you pause thinking, looking at a wall of water here, wall of water here. Okay, I see the miracle, I do. But that's a far way over there from here to the other side. You know, it's like that swinging bridge. I was thinking, the wooden swinging bridge. Is this going to hold me, you know, all the way, you know, kind of thing. But you know what? Even though they had just complained, that when they came to this moment of decision, will they go? Will they take a step? You know what they did? By the command of God, they courageously took the step of faith right onto that dry ground and made it all the way through the Red Sea. That's this unshakable faith that the writer's talking about here. I wonder if some of them, like walking through the middle, and I don't know, I like that. I don't know if you've seen that cartoon, The Prince of Egypt, yeah? And they're walking through, and, and they show like a wall of water, and you see like fish and a whale and I don't know if that was real, but I thought that would be cool, you know, you know, like some fish looking at you from this wall. But I wonder if, if as they're walking through, maybe they're thinking, wow, we're walking in the middle of a miracle right now. How's that? How's that? 
The people had no guarantee but God's word. But that was enough, and by faith they crossed, relying on his word. So this is also the people's reliance here. Just with Passover, they relied on God's word, and they went. Okay, then the writer says in verse 29, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned, that is um, the enemy army, what it's talking about, uh, they didn't go in faith. They ended up drowning. See, they, remember, after they crossed, then God moved his Shekinah glory, and here comes Pharaoh and his army, and they see the Red Sea, and so they go after him, going through this, right? Now, they went in, they just went right in, arrogantly, I believe, thinking their own strength is going to overcome the people. They had evil plans for the people. But in Exodus 14.25, it says, the wheels of the Egyptian chariots came off, and then it says, they drove them with difficulty. My mind is like, oh, I wonder if the wheels got stuck, you know. God made the dry ground all muddy and mucky again, and the wheels got stuck, and they were breaking off, and they had a hard time, you know, moving forward, maybe. Then the Lord had Moses hold out his staff, and the waters came back over the Egyptian army, and they drowned. So faith brought Israel through the Red Sea, but arrogance destroyed Egypt in the Red Sea. One commentator said this, faith takes God at his word and is victorious. Presumption denies God's word and is destroyed. And certainly that's what happened to the Egyptian army. Well, our last point here this morning is this. The rescue of the people of Israel came because they chose to believe God at his word. The rescue of the people of Israel came because they chose to believe God at his word. And sometimes we come to that place, don't we? It's a choice, yeah? It's a choice for us to believe or not to believe. All the facts are there. Maybe even the miracle is in front of you. Maybe God's just done a miracle, but we have to choose, are we going to believe that or not? came across a sad but interesting statement from Dr. George Wald. He, in 1967, he was a Nobel Prize winner in biology. He was a professor of biology at Harvard, so a real high professor, high-thinking guy. But listen to what he said. There are only two possibilities as to how life arose. One is spontaneous generation arising to evolution. The other is a supernatural creative act of God. There is no third possibility. So he puts that out. So in his logical mind now, he states this, spontaneous generation that life arose from non-living matter was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur and others. And it's true. Louis Pasteur, he's that microbiologist who brought uh, the, the whole science of vas- va- vas- vaccinations and uh, he, he brought in vaccinations for rabies and anthrax. He actually proved microorganisms do not develop on their own. He proved that fact. So here's this professor biologist saying, hey, this was disproved, disproved 120 years ago. So listen now. Then this Dr. Wald goes on to say, that leaves us with one possible conclusion that life arose as a creative act of God. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Doesn't that sound like that this Nobel Peace 
prize winner, that, that he's a believer, but he's not. Listen. He goes on to say this right after that now. I will not accept that philosophically because I do not want to believe in God. Wow. Therefore, Dr. Wald states, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible, spontaneous generation arising through evolution. Can you believe that? He chooses to believe in what is not true. What he knows is impossible. He made that choice. But I'll tell you what. We're faced with a decision too today. We have a decision to make too. In an opposite way. In a contrasting way. Will we choose to believe God in what we know to be true even if it looks impossible? Will you take God at his word? Will you believe that when he calls you to do something, he will be there for you? Will you believe that the miracle maybe you see now is also the miracle that will deliver you and not smash you? You have a choice right now. It's a moment of decision, you guys. In every one of our lives, God is calling to us. I believe that he has some great things in store right around the corner. He wants to do some incredible, wonderful works. But are we willing to believe him? Are we going to stand there and not move? Or are we going to take that step of faith because you're going to take God at his word? As we come to a close, think about how our whole Christian life is, is really based on choices. Yeah? I mean, when Satan tempts you, we're going to decide either, okay, or no way, right? When we have an opportunity to share Jesus and, and witness this someone, we either take advantage of that or we go, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I can, right? Every morning, we wake up, we, we have a choice to decide whether to take the time to spend it with God, read our Bible and pray. What do we, what do, we do with that? Every day, we probably have situations where we have a choice. We, ha- we can decide if we're going to be honest about something or not. Every day we have a choice to live for God or not. So you see, every day our lives are built upon choices. The choices we make. Someone said, right choices are made on the basis of right faith. I like that. But in faith, yeah, in faith we can make that choice and know it's the right thing no matter how hard it looks no matter how impossible it looks what is god calling you to do compromise walk away or commit everything to him gratify our flesh or please god what are you going to do will we choose the easy and safe thing or will we choose the unknown path that god is saying come Come over here. Don't worry. I'll be with you. Uh, this speaks to me, you guys. I mean, are we willing to forsake our convenience and to step into something that seems so dangerous? But, as we read, have read in the Bible, isn't the places of greatest challenges you find the greatest miracles? Right? Right? 
I want to close with this story. Before John Getty took his wife and his two children, before he left Canada to be missionaries on the, in the, on the South Pacific Islands of New Hebrides, they had heard 22 sailors of the British ship had been uh, killed and eaten by the natives. There. They were cannibals there. Facing like these, this news, everyone knew these islands were in the South Pacific. They were cannibals. Facing seemingly impossible odds, you know what? They went anyway because they had this call of God to go there. They, they were to be the first missionaries on that island. That, that's crazy to me. When the ship that brought them there in 1848 left, it is said that the missionaries felt for the first time the stern reality of being abandoned on an island surrounded by our, our barbarous people from whom they had much to fear and with whom they had little, if anything, in common. What a feeling, yeah? You see the ship sailing off. It's just you there in this whole island, you know. But were they fearful? Were they intimidated? Were they despondent? Getty wrote this, Though severed now from those with whom we could take sweet counsel, we are not alone. We have his promise at whose command we have come. Lo, I am with you always. Slow but sure, they learned the language, they shared the gospel. The, the wife even translated uh, the New Testament into their language. And over and over, there were stories of God's protection and care. And, 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 and these people on this island, these cannibals, turning from that life and coming to Jesus Christ and being saved. They kept going until, as it is written, uh, after 24 years of toil, he answered his Lord's final summons and left the earthly scene December 14, 1870, 1872 and at that time a tablet was prepared and was placed behind the pulpit on the wall of the church in Anna Colhat, which was the area on the island where they ministered to um, and where, where they preached. On this in, uh, plaque was this inscription in memory of John Getty Missionaries sent from Nova Scotia to Anatam for 24 years. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians here. And when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. We see John Getty fulfill his mission. God has a mission for you and I, each one of us, guys. So let us do that. Let us do the same. As did Moses, as did his parents, as did, as we saw here, the people of Moses, I mean, people of Israel. Let us all take now that choice of faith. Let's all stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. Lord, as we are at this moment in time, at the close of this service, God, at the close of this study, Lord, we're at a moment in our lives, every one of us today. We're like at the base of the Red Sea that, that, that's been parted. Will we step out? Will we step forward? God, give us that courage to do what these guys did. Give us that faith and that trust in you to do what you want us to do, to take you at your word, Lord. God, that's when incredible things happen. Lord, when we take you at your word. Lord, many of us are at that place where the impossible 
is in front of us, and the impossible staring at us. But Lord, you are the God of the impossible. And we will do not want to be intimidated by no one, our fears, Lord, our thoughts, God, what someone might be saying to us, but we know what you have called us to do. So give us strength, Lord, today to be the people of God you want us to be. Give us a heart today, Lord, a new heart, not this timid and fearful heart, God, but a heart that believes in you, God, with all of our might, soul, and strength, God, that loves you and sees you. Even though you're invisible, we see you as if you're standing right there, Lord. God, give us those eyes, Lord. Give us a resolve and a passion. And, and Lord, just burn in us, Lord, to follow you and do what you want to say. You, you are saying to us, God, that no matter where you want us to go, we'll go, Lord. Like the disciples, Lord. How they just jumped up, left, God, they're fishing. And they just went and followed you, not knowing exactly where they're going to go, but they just wanted to follow you. And that's us today, God. We want to follow you, God. And Lord, as we look to the world, as we look to even everything you've blessed us with, as we look to the past and, and the sins, Lord, God, none of this compares to you, Jesus. None of it. We want you, Jesus. We want you in our lives. And we know in the middle of your will we find you, God. So we want to do your will, Lord. And God, we know we cannot do it alone. But we need you. We need each other. Most of all, Lord, we need your spirit. And I pray right now, I pray over every person here and myself, God, I ask that your spirit would come upon us, that you would fill us right now, Lord. That you would cleanse us of our sins. That you would wipe us clean and give us a, a second chance, a third chance, Lord. A new start today, God, to fulfill the mission you're giving us. Lord, we raise our hands. Here I am, Lord. Here I am with Isaiah. Send me. Use me. Be with me. Help me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you in your name. Amen.